Hello, everyone. It's a Monday edition of Splash Play here, where it's time to talk about our Week 9 panic rankings. Which teams should you be freaking out about? Which teams, fantasy-wise, are giving you the most to freak out about? We're going to go through Tier Maker and break it all down. And I'm coming off my best NFL DFS week I have had this season, so we're going to talk about that a little bit as well as we head into a Monday night football showdown slate. You got the Bengals, you got the Browns, you got some advantages that we're going to unearth right live on Fantasy Cruncher, and we're going to do it right after this intro. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And once again, I'm Chris Spaggs, joined by you guys today watching live, you guys in the chat, you guys commenting after the fact. I do appreciate each and every one of you who come through this stream or come through this channel to watch the stream. So please make sure you subscribe, hit the like button, leave a comment down below. I always make sure to get back to every comment out there, unless you're a porn bot, in which case I just quietly take note of the links you're putting in there and then don't reply. Either way, though, if you are a real human being, please feel free to leave a comment. And of course, like the video and please subscribe to the channel we are dangerously at close to 1300 subs on here obviously i'm doing the best i can to keep this channel alive and popping without pete it's difficult to not have that that magnetic charisma of pete here with me on every stream being mean to me but it is the thing that we're going to do here of course wednesdays will be our nba stream day where we're going to talk about all the nba dfs plays do some underdog drafts as well on there so come back wednesday thursdays 2 p.m is when i do the fancy data show where i dig into my excel sheet give you guys the best data numbers and i think we actually got a shocking amount of gems on there this past week so please go check that show out of course more showdown builds on thursday as well and then friday 10 a.m the main event with pete so come back to that one even if you don't want to hang out with me though honestly you should hang out with me because i think i'm pretty great but let's share the screen here let's dig into the panic rankings and oh wait a minute this isn't the panic rankings at all in fact this is my spy lineup from yesterday which is crazy because you know i i sure i finished top 100 on there sure i won 400 but i try to keep it humble here i don't want to share my results don't want to share the fact that for the first time all season long, was able to get the DraftKings bankroll above $2,000 with lineups that were live in every slate. No, no, no. I just, this is completely accidental. My apologies. But no, honestly, I stopped doing the lineup review stuff because I felt like it was too close to Pete's Monday morning stream. Saw his, his doom and gloom this morning, but I'm feeling pretty good. Here's a team similar to a lot of what I rolled out across DFS yesterday. Got Tua, you got Tony Pollard, you got Deonta Foreman, all the great chalk out there. Tyree Kill, a double stack with, with uh, Jalen Waddle. DJ Moore took on that chalk as well because I knew I was going to get different here with Brandon Cooks who proceeded to do absolutely nothing there at 1% would have been a nice play nobody playing the Steelers D doesn't even matter if I lose one point if Brandon Cooks or Irv Smith or both ideally go off but um Still not going to be mad at that game. Not going to not gonna get too bad about it. Uh, Brandon here saying, what's up, Spags? Took another beating yesterday. Had the most of the right pieces, but not together. Greg Poupon dominated every tournament I was in. I did have a few lineups yesterday that would have had a shot, I think, to get to where Greg Poupon was, where that Josh uh, Zero guy was in the spy. Or was, or was he the one who won the Millie Maker? No, the, the guy who had a really stupid lineup won the Millie Maker. Was the one with two uncorrelated Jets plays. Um, obviously, you can only say it's stupid, and the guy won a million dollars. So who's the stupid one, really? But ultimately, like you know, I think this kind of lineup is one that I feel comfortable building. One thing I will say, the reason I was able to get to this lineup, and shout out Nate here, of course, one of our regulars who I appreciate very much hanging out with me here. Um, a lot of what I've been focused on over the last few weeks, as you guys have seen on these streams, hopefully, and, and I'm hoping too that, like, honestly, I would like to keep the results going so I look like less of an asshole chasing uh, these windmills throughout the course of these, uh, the entire NFL season and then uh, being wrong more often than not. 
but I'm trying to improve my game, not so much by just getting different. I know Pete has very much encouraged people out there to embrace the contrarian nature of things. Leone, a very sharp player over DTR. I know Pete talks about kind of inspiring him to that route, uh, to that route overall. For me, though, what I think is when I do the best is when I can sort of figure out what other people are doing and then figure out the parts of it that I like, the parts of it I don't. For me, the chalk this week was I've talked about it on that Thursday stream. Love Tony Pollard. One was one of those guys that felt like he couldn't fail. Same for the Dolphins stack, a team that passes a lot, that forces the ball downfield a lot. Going against a Lions team that doesn't defend passes downfield as well or that well at all. Like they were a team that honestly should have given up even more production than they did in that game yesterday. So this spot to me, like again, you have chalk. You could certainly run away from all chalk. But I think these situations that I put into the spy lineup to me represent uh, what were chalky situations that actually had very few ways to fail or very low likelihoods of failure. And I think um, with how the industry has been going lately with what we've talked about in some of these shows where I think people are getting a little bit too cute, getting a little bit too sharp for themselves, trying to outthink where the field's going instead of showing that the field actually has to prove that they know the best plays and where to find them. Um, like to me, Jalen Waddle, you know, he got to 26% in the spy, but was lower certainly in some of the big tournaments out there. Like I didn't trust that people would play the double stack. I saw what the optimizers run I was doing with, with stochastics projections, with the fantasy cruncher basic projections. People were going to go to single stacks a lot. So how do you get different? It's not that you don't play the stack. It's that you then go to a double stack or you go to an onslaught. You go to different builds. So that was the thing that helped me out a lot. Something that I think is a very important focus point for me. And it was one that, you know, certainly could have been better for me as well. I couldn't find a way to get to Derrick Henry. Couldn't find a way to get to Kamara in this lineup. Both guys I liked a lot. Uh, the price tag just didn't quite work out here with Brandon Cooks being a little bit under 6K. Went to the cheapest defense possible. Went to DJ Moore. Didn't want to lose DJ Moore. So those are the kind of trade-offs you get where, you know, didn't end up taking down a tournament, but had a nice day for myself. Had a bankroll mark that I wanted to hit the season and got there. So at the end of the day, that's all I can be happy with. Had a decent amount of Dalton Kamara, Olave stacks of Adams or Jacobs run backs, and they shit the bed. Yeah, Adams here, you can see on the screen. I think we're going to actually, let me pull up the panic rankings now because I think we can segue over there. I think it's deeply time for the, uh, for these uh, Raiders overall to be panicking. I think it's me as somebody who invested a lot in Devontae Adams. I'm certainly panicking about what he's been doing um, and how it's frankly not starting to look better. Uh, you know, for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins to come in and suddenly look better than Devontae Adams this week after week, that's one of the core things that I was betting against this season, and especially in best ball. And that's something that's been biting me in the ass time and time again. But it's time to hit the panic rankings, guys. So again, let's our new format here on Mondays where I'm going to reveal the teams who need to panic the most. The Raiders, to me, firmly a panic team. And part of the reason I think they're a panic team is not just because of that zero-point loss yesterday, where, again, they don't score anything against a Saints team that we have seen given a big production of competent uh, passing offices. In particular, you think of the Bengals game a couple weeks ago. But the Raiders, to me, what makes me want to panic the most about them is, A, they're in this NFC, this, you know, this West, AFC West, excuse me, where there are so much, you know, such a top-heavy build there. Guys like the Chiefs who are going to probably steamroll the Raiders whenever they come across them. The Chargers, we know have the upside as well to put it down on them. I just don't think the Raiders were in spot to contend with those guys. And this is amidst the season where Josh Jacobs has performed better than you ever could have hoped for. Josh McDaniels comes in and gives this offense the team that, frankly, I think is not getting the most out of Devontae Adams. Certainly hasn't gotten the most out of Darren Waller. Waller himself, an older player who I think we kind of ignored that with our excitement to get uh, you know the elite tight ends in and basketball the season. But for me, was the Raiders right now with where I have so much Devontae Adams. I think they're firmly a panic team, and they're one that's going to be a panic team until they show that they can get right. Like until they show they can score thirty points in a game without Josh Jacobs going off. I think is when I'm going to have a little bit less faith in them. The Bucs, we know every week here they're going to be in the panic spot. Tom Brady looking not great. Certainly has had some bad luck going his way as well with the deep balls going to Mike Evans that have been dropped. Mike Evans kind of gets back on track last game, but it's not enough to pick up the win against the Ravens. The Bucs, me, I think are firmly a panic team. They're going to stay there for a while. I think the less said about them, probably going to be the better. 
Um, I will also add the Broncos into a panic team here. You know, you have Brett Rippon coming in looking competent. You have Russell Wilson then stepping back in, doing his high knees on transcontinental flights in order to get to where he needs to be or intercontinental flights. Get it into some sort of flights. He's doing high knees. And he still is going out there and not able to win games for him. Still not looking the best against the Jaguars team that, frankly, I think, you know, uh, really getting away James Robinson doesn't matter that much. But Travis Etienne, to me, like they shouldn't be playing competitive games with teams like the Jaguars. They should be, I think, a, a world champion level team is what we were hoping we'd see out of the Broncos. So for me, in this situation, I think the Broncos are also firmly a panic team. We got to get the chill vibes in the air. I think the Panthers still firmly a chill vibes team, even with that loss yesterday. Um, it's really tough for them where they missed that extra point, missed the field goal. They ended up losing that game to the Falcons where truly it felt like they should have won. You saw P.J. Walker on the sidelines looking disappointed. This is the Panthers where you really, they're exactly where you'd want them to be. Like, they're competitive enough. The defense is showing some signs of life. They're a team that can get out there and actually win some games, but you don't actually want them to win games. So they're chill vibes uh, chill vibes of territory only. Deonta Foreman also being a running back that looks like they can actually rely on seems like a positive thing for them. The Falcons, firmly chill vibes only as well. As I've talked about, even if they lose games too, like I think they're a chill vibes only team because they're just happy to do what Arthur Smith wants to do. They're his toys. Arthur Smith is going to play with them the way that he wants to. That means yesterday getting a little bit more Kyle Pitts, getting a little more offense going in that one, maybe some hope for the passing game, but it's still not enough to sustain both Drake London and Kyle Pitts, especially if you have guys coming in. Demir Bird gets some big plays for them yesterday. So to me, I think they're chill vibes only for them. For us, certainly a team you could start to panic about offensively. The Bills, chill vibes only as well. I feel like the panic teams and the chill vibes only teams are the easiest to identify bills win easily once again give up some production to guys like samari Ture. it doesn't really matter that much overall the bills we know are going to be in it at the end of the season that's what matters and offensively too like devin singletary i think maybe he could be the one guy on the bills who starts to panic for because i thought he was a really good play going into yesterday going into green bay defense that does not defend the run well at all and in the spot they you know basically end up with no devin singletary production you start to see uh, a little bit more zach moss coming in the end of the game james cook is still a threat overall so panic about your shares of Devin Singletary as I am in best ball, but for the team themselves, chill vibes only. Cowboys right now, I think, or don't worry. You know what? They, they still feel on the cusp of a panic, not just because of the fact that, you know, Tony Pollard looked amazing yesterday. And I think that was one thing that we talked about going into that game. I thought Tony Pollard was chalk you couldn't avoid. There is, to me, a big difference between chalk you can't avoid and chalk you can't. Pollard was certainly a play you could avoid in terms of, like, trying to get that ceiling outcome. If you had played Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry together, you'd have more points than Tony Pollard did. But overall, like, you played Tony Pollard, you knew you were going to get hopefully at least one touchdown, hopefully get some good missed tackles. He did all that, had a 50-yard touchdown run. But I think the issue, that thing that's going to make Cowboys fans panic, and really the Cowboys organization panic, at some point you have to bring Zeke back. And you see a game like what happened against the Bears, and yeah, Zeke probably would have gotten into the end zone, probably would have put up 50 to 75 rushing yards, looked okay with Tony Pollard doing what he does, looking efficient behind him. But Tony Pollard's a better running back. And I think at a certain point, the Cowboys are going to have to face that one square in the eyes, and it's going to be a problem for them. So I think that's where the panic comes for them. But for right now they get that nice win against the bears um maybe some weaknesses shown in that defense it's looked so good with justin fields running all over him but for the most part i think the cowboys are probably feeling good right now and you can make a case they should be a little bit lower on the panic rankings um cardinals firmly panic territory the offense shows some signs of life and honestly you can make the case they're more teetering on a breakdown just because having deandre hopkins back out there looking good taking a lot of air yards a lot of targets away being efficient for them honestly was one of the things i was concerned about with him getting older was that he just wouldn't be efficient enough wouldn't be able to make those contested catches the same he's doing it so far he's not getting any separation he's very much a catch and fall down guy that's kind of what deandre hopkins has always been so as long as he can make contested catches downfield as long as he can make them in tight spaces i feel like they're not quite panicking 
tanking yet. And I think if anything, they're probably feeling too good about themselves for a team that continues to lose in every possible situation. Um, Eagles, another team, I think going to be very much in chill vibes only territory. You get the outlier AJ Brown game talked about how the man defense in that spot was one that AJ Brown should take advantage of. And not only did he take advantage of it, he took advantage of it to the two and the three touchdowns and, uh, you know, like really impressive touchdowns too. These weren't easy ones. These weren't guys just blowing coverage. It was him making contested catches sometimes over to you guys. I feel like if you're the Eagles, you know, there's another level. You could still hit another threshold. You can get past actually be even better. So if you're an Eagles fan right now, and I'm surrounded by them, including in this house, unfortunately trying to do the best I can to keep our precious baby Luca from becoming an idiot lunkhead Eagles fan, like all these ones out there, but man, this team's fucking good. And you know, they could be better if they actually do want to pass the ball downfield more. We saw a taste of it. You could see it more coming up. Bengals are a team, I think, right now panicking a little inside because they really seem like they figured it out with Jamar Chase the last few weeks' his offense overall after Joe Burrow had complained so many times about how they weren't able to solve what defenses were doing against them with the too high cover two. For the most part, the Bengals did figure that out. Now you take Jamar Chase away, and I think the Bengals tonight, you know, we'll talk about it more when I get into the showdown stuff when I build some lineups. Joe Mixon is in a fantastic spot, but if you're a Bengals backer, if you're a Bengals organization member, I think you have to have some concerns about losing that alpha receiver, this hip injury where they think they could maybe could have played through it, but they don't want him to. He's not going on IR, but it's one of those things that could linger on long enough here, and when you get, when you see your team figure it out, and then this big part of what helped them figure it out is gone. Like, I love T. Higgins. I think this is the spot for him with, with best ball. I've drafted him a lot. Pete and I both drafted them a lot and splash play streams all summer long but i think from my perspective if i were a bengals fan i would be worried now that you could see a lot of the things that they started to get right it's really unlocked the upside of this bengals offense that maybe it could start to get a little bit uglier at least as long as jamar chase is out and you know dealing with this injury for as long as that may be uh the lions are an interesting team because i think right now they are there are some very obvious flaws in what they're doing overall they go for it on fourth down a lot, which does compa- uh, you know, create more competitive game environments. Does create more fantasy-friendly game environments for them. But if you're a Lions backer, again, I, I say backer and fan, but like really anybody who's just putting money behind them, you want to see them do well. Like they are so bad at defending deep balls like that, you know, to go into a chalk stack like that Miami one and still feel like, you know what, fuck it. I don't know how I fade this game with over 50 point total with how Tua plays versus how the Lions give up a lot of production. Like they're going to get killed by teams like that as long as possible. And I don't think they have the manpower or the wherewithal to solve it, to kind of clamp down on it. Like we've seen Tennessee do with their defense. The Tennessee also has played some, some teams that probably weren't best equipped to take advantage of their downfield weaknesses. But I think with the Lions, like, I don't know what they do to get better like they've played like this with the with a starting safety there the backup safety was one who was playing last night uh, for them or yesterday for them and it didn't get better there so like i don't know how it gets better for the lions and i think you could see these outlier passing performances come against the lions every week just because they can't defend down the field in any sort of major way packers Wait, Packers, honestly, I'm going to take them out of panic for this week, and I think you can make the case they are much like the Bucks, a team that should be in panic every week. Perhaps a theme there with the aging quarterbacks who have too much control or exert a lot of control when things don't go their way, it starts to look the worst. But I think if you're the Packers, you feel kind of good about getting what you got out of Romeo Dubs yesterday. You're probably pretty good about getting what you got out of Torre yesterday, Aaron Jones being used better. So, like, if it goes bad again, if Aaron Rodgers starts getting toxic again, if he starts submarining the organization, then maybe they are in full panic mode again. But I actually think it looks a little better for them than I would have thought it did last week. So for me, the Packers, not quite panic mode, more teetering on a breakdown, but you know, it can go either way at any time. Um, I kind of think the Browns are teetering on a breakdown. We'll see what happens tonight, but it feels like the Kareem Hunt stuff giving up on that after he wanted to be traded in the offseason. They're like, no, we're going to hold on to you because you matter to this offense. Now they're willing to get rid of him. Um, it's, 
a spot with the Browns where I think they should be better than they are, even with Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback. Like they've made some strides with guys like uh, Mari Cooper actually playing above his head. Well, it's what a lot of people expected of him this year. Even Brissett himself kind of throwing the ball better than I think people would have thought he would based on how he's been as a journeyman QB recently. But I think right now, like they know they really can't win the division they're in. They also know that you have Nick Chubb playing so well, but maybe he's propping up a team that shouldn't be propped up. You have Njoku out. You still have Watson out for another month. Like there's still enough guys here who aren't a part of the picture and won't help them get back to the playoff race by the time that that starts up. So I think in this spot, like you kind of want to tank if you're the Browns. You maybe want to get rid of your coach. You want to make some turnover here. Like they feel like a team that could blow it up even though they have you know the running back game it's the talent with Amari Cooper as well even Donovan Peoples-Jones is a nice number two guy like they should be competitive and they're not I think that's something that's pretty much pretty much a pretty big problem for them chill vibes only goes to the Texans again honestly well you know let's go don't worry be happy um that game overall would be nice if they had anybody at receiver who they're developing Chris Moore gets nothing going there Brandon Cooks getting nothing going there the pass game overall was in a nice matchup and didn't take advantage of it so if you're Houston like not a big deal but still a spot where I think they're content because they have Damian Pierce they're content because they're trying pretty hard but they're not panicking they're just kind of riding out the season and that's it's sad to say that when you're not even again barely at the halfway point of the season when you screen share, I look underwater, at least on my end. I, it looks okay on mine, but if I look like shit, guys, let me know. Um, I think sometimes the, the laptop share gets a little bit weird, but uh, hopefully it's just Brandon's reception and not not mine here because I'm on a wired connection. This should be as pristine. You can see all the beautiful features. Oh, look at ooh, look at all these. Mm, 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 Vogue on them. Stun on them, guys. That's what I do every stream. Kansas City, firmly chill vibes only. Getting more talent in. It, Honestly, you can make the case that they're like less chill. The Kadarius Tony trade seems a little bit weird just because I don't know how you need him. I don't know what you're doing with Kadarius Tony. I don't know why you acquire him when you finally look like you figured out the pass offense. They're on a buy. It's hard for me to take a team from chill vibes only last week to don't worry, be happy this week. Uh, Nate saying I look fine here. Thanks. I think he means I look fine. And I appreciate that, Nate, because I didn't put on a sexy Halloween costume here to slut it up for the views. <laughs> like I'm sure I could have. Uh, but yeah, I think the Chiefs to me, kind of a panic trade for a team that's not panicking. Rojo also looking for his release is an interesting point to talk about the Chiefs that quietly nobody talked about in the fantasy industry but he's not happy uh, maybe there's something underlying with the Chiefs and how they feel confidence wise but and how they're performing week after week again coming off that decimation of the Niners last week I think they're a team that probably feels more better than not and probably more chill vibes than not if you're the Niners, you're in the NFC West. Where do you go? Last week was a panic, just that defense not holding up against the Chiefs. But I think right now they're a felt cute, might panic later, feeling cute in the literal sense with Christian McCaffrey and what he did throwing for a touchdown, receiving a touchdown, rushing for a touchdown. It's one of those moves by the, the Niners where I don't know, you know, how they could feel bad about that spot. No Debo, you crush an NFC West though. And the Rams to me on the other side of the coin, I mean, my God, you talk about a team that should be panicked right now with Cooper Cup. When that ankle injury happened in the game, you could see their future flashing before their eyes with them having to throw the ball to Allen Robson, having to throw more screens to Tyler Higby, having to rely on Ronnie Rivers off the scrap heap. Like, it's a really bad spot for the Rams. So the Niners in their situation, I think, feeling pretty good, putting it down on an NFC West team, probably not the one they have to worry about with how Seattle's playing. The Rams overall, though, like kind of a team that needs to turn it in, but they are not built to turn it in. They don't have draft picks or anything. So what do they do? Justin pointing out that Kadarius Tony is a long-term move. Hardman and Juju not on contract next year. That makes sense. I mean, certainly to get a, a talent overall. I think what I worry about with Tony A, with you know what he's been historically, where clearly the Giants had some behind-the-scenes issues with him. Um, so clearly the Giants also, I think, uh, new coaching staff comes in, has even more issues with him. He's punched guys within his very limited NFL career. 
I, I worry a little bit about upsetting the makeup of a team that, again, just comes off this really big win against the toughest defense in the league. So I get it. Like, I get for a team-building perspective, you take on talent that's under under team control for longer. You try to fight against the fact that, like, you know, get yourself some leverage so Juju or Hardman maybe take a better deal than they would uh, otherwise. But I think in this spot, it screams something is off there. And even if you are planning for the future, you are risking the present right now for the future if you are the Chiefs a little bit with that move. Um, the Colts. The Colts? Kind of panicking, it feels like. Jonathan Taylor, especially, I think if you're a, a Colts backer in fantasy, you have to be concerned. Maybe not if you're an Alec Pierce lover like I am. We actually got some deep targets in that game from Sam Ellinger, and, and it kind of fits the vibe of what I've talked about sometimes where you have the young backup QB with a young receiver. Those guys are the ones who are throwing the most to each other in the offseason because like Michael Pittman's not going to hang out with Sam Ellinger that much. He's going to hang out with Matt Ryan. He's going to chase that. Alec Pierce is probably playing just by the nature of what the team was with where he was on the depth charts in a lot of the offseason. Like, he was getting the ball thrown him a lot by Ellinger's. So Pierce is looking pretty good, but if you are a Jonathan Taylor backer, if you're a Naheem Hines backer, he gets a touchdown yesterday, but still, for the most part, doesn't do much. Um, Sam Ellinger, to me, just looked pretty trashy. Uh, Nate saying, I can't believe I fell for Ellinger. It was really the combination for me where Ellinger fit the reverse of the Dolphins criteria where like it made sense on paper, but then you look at it and it's like, you know, the commanders haven't been that bad defensively. They also play a little bit slow with Heineke, especially playing a little bit closer to the vest, even though he does seem to find McLaurin more than it seemed like Carson Wentz was. But with Ellinger, like it just didn't feel like the right spot for him. You put him against the Lions, like I'm willing to go there. I think I again, put anybody against the Lions, I'm willing to go there. But in this particular spot, like they didn't really want to change the offense materially. It didn't seem like they got the most out of his mobility. Certainly didn't get a lot of RPO success on the ground, which is what I thought would actually open some, some more ceiling for Jonathan Taylor. But I think if you're the Colts team, if you're a Colts backer, again, if you're a person who's invested in them this offseason, I think you're feeling pretty bad. Um, man, the Bears... I think the Bears are honestly kind of happy right now. Justin Fields is looking like something. Um, whether he's something with the offensive coaches that keep giving him, the offensive talent they keep giving him, harder to say. Khalil Herbert also looking like a monster. Miss tackle rate is through the moon. He looks better than David Montgomery every time he touches the ball, which is part of the thesis in drafting him in basketball, which actually is paying off in a way that it has not for some of the other backup backs out there. But I think if you're the Bears, like you got your quarterback, you've been dying to have this quarterback for so long. So right now they're feeling probably more good than not. Uh, Dolphins as well. I think don't worry, be happy, maybe close to chill vibes only. They're going to run into some tough matchups. If you go against a team that's going to limit the deep ball, I think that offense gets materially worse. If you go against a team that limits the deep ball and also can't get the run game going or won't let the run game going against them, you're going to have a lot of problems as we saw yesterday for Raheem Mostert where he just could not find any space at all to operate. But against teams that do have those efficiencies, against teams that where they are able to actually get the ball downfield, like Tyreek made some catches that were insane. Like he caught some easy ones for sure, had almost 150 yards at halftime. That's going to happen. But he caught a couple balls where he was getting like taking shots in the hip, like Waddle was getting into space and looking good. But for the most part, like, you know, they made it about as hard as they could on him. Just the Lions didn't have the talent to do it. But against other teams, you know, again, you know, like the commanders kind of style of team where they try to muck it up. You run the two high safeties. You do try to keep the ball in front of you. And the Dolphins will have more trouble. But because they're so volatile offensively like who wouldn't want to see a Dolphins Chiefs game in the playoffs come up so I think the Dolphins have to be feeling pretty good and I think if you're a Dolphins investor in them if you believed in Tua um, and maybe fought against some of the media headlines about him people shitting on him including myself at various times um, I think you probably are feeling really good about your shares of the Dolphins and really overall just banking on them feels like a team you can rely on the Giants to me I think are starting to get exposed 
not a lot of talent there, not a lot of ability, not a lot of skill overall. Daniel Jones has been certainly running the ball well. Saquon Barkley's doing the best he can. But a receiver, you have Richie James getting hurt yesterday, also maybe blowing the game at portions of it. Um, for the most part, for the Giants, it's like they have nobody coming down. There's nobody coming out that's going to help him materially. Kenny Galladay's on the, clearly on the shit list. I think he's injured technically, but probably not a guy that's going to be around long term. Uh, whenever his contract ends at the year, I'm sure they're going to be happy to get rid of him, if not sooner. Might actually be a buyout guy uh, if anybody would want to trade it for I'm sure they would have been stoked to get that as well. But if you're the Giants, like you've really done about as well as you can, and you're still just you know not able to to really put it down on a team like Seattle that feels also like a team that should be capable of being taken advantage of. The Giants to me just seem like they've been really well coached, done the best they can with the talent they have. But at a certain point, that runs out. I think the Giants are a team that personally, like I wouldn't want to invest in the back half of the season because they are kind of a one trick pony. And once you figure out what that trick is, it's hard to see them being able to pull out wins week after week. Vikings right now, I think they're happy. I think you get a good Dalvin Cook game. You get Madison also running well in that game. You don't have to have the outlier Justin Jefferson performance. Even guys like Thielen and Irv Smith don't do a whole lot in that game, which bummed me out. As you saw, I had a lot of Irv Smith. Talked about him a lot as a guy on paper that looked really good. But if you're the Vikings and you can win a game like that against Arizona, who comes on strong at the end, who does that every week, starts slow, kind of hangs in long enough, and then makes their big run late, like, that's got to give you a lot of faith in the Vikings. I think we're only a, a one-loss team right now still, too. Like, if you're them and you're in that NFC North and you know you're going against the Bears and the Packers and the Lions, like, my God, Justin Jefferson against the Lions, when that happens again, like, that's going to be the 300-yard day uh, that Justin Jefferson seems capable of. So if you're the Lions, you could beat any team defensively. You're not awful. Um, probably going to give up more production than you are, you know, when you want to, to be a Super Bowl contender. But still a team overall that I feel like has a, a lot more upside than it seems so far. Dustin says, my best ball shares could really use Fuller coming back to the NFL, even if it is the Giants or a wide receiver needy team like that. I don't think Fuller's going to get a job this year. Like, I think maybe he needs a rehab like project in the XFL or USFL next summer or next spring, rather. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of great faith for Fuller. He wasn't a guy I invested in late. Um, I also didn't believe in Julio very much, and I think that ended up being right, even though he did sign with a team, which bummed me out to lose a bet before the season even started to Pete. Uh, but I don't think Fuller, like, if he's not in there now, and there's been enough injuries, there's been enough gaps, like, at this point, you know, the Rams, if Cooper Cup got hurt, like, at that, they're probably holding out hope they get Odell back, and they're not going Fuller's way. Uh, I don't know who else is desperate enough. Like, I guess the Rams overall could be desperate enough, but they just got Van Jefferson back too. So like, you're looking at these desperate teams, you're looking at the panic teams that would maybe want to trade for him. If you're the Raiders or you or not trade for him, sign him. Um, like you have Matt Collins. You want to play Matt Collins over Will Fuller? Probably. He's also a guy you develop for yourself. Connor Renfro, completely different kind of player. He doesn't make sense for them. Uh, for the Bucks, like what they need another outside receiver to get downfield for Tom Brady to be frustrated trying to hit him uh, because he can't figure out the rapport. No, the Broncos have enough weapons. They have Hamler and Sutton getting the ball downfield poorly too. The Rams have Allen Robinson again, you know, like Odell maybe coming back to them. But like you looked at these teams, like where does Fuller go that he couldn't have gone already? The Packers, the Packers seem like they want to try their young guys out. So I don't know where Fuller goes. And I think if you invested in Fuller, I would just I'd write that off. I wouldn't tell the IRS. I would start to, <laughs> to write off those best ball shares. The Ravens to me are a team that I still feel like it's teetering on a breakdown. Like Mark Andrews getting hurt. Rashad Bateman getting hurt again. These guys can't seemingly stay on the field. And if they are staying on the field, the production has been a little bit rough. 
For the Ravens, though, it's just the injuries over and over again. And it's the fact, too, that I think they act like they are an upper echelon team, but talent-wise, they're kind of more of a middle-of-the-pack team. They're also in a tough division where the Bengals seem like they have more firepower and a better defense this year. And the Ravens, to me, just relying on that historical pedigree for their defense, where the defense actually is not that good and has given up some production. They just kind of slow down the clock, eat enough offensively. The defense hasn't gotten blown up besides that Dolphins game where the Dolphins showed, like, hey, you throw in the Ravens, you're going to find success. I think that's something that teams will find out. I think the Chiefs will exploit that heavily as we go so there's certainly a lot of ways to me at the ravens that it can get worse for them and i just feel like the injury history like they feel snake bitten they're doing the best they can to stay alive despite that but holy shit like that team feels like they are just one more injury away from just being crestfallen time and time again if lamar gets hurt like maybe huntley can put some juice back in that's the one injury that perhaps they have a, a way that could give them some upside just because of the team rallying around huntley um teetering on a breakdown jets feel like they're teetering on a breakdown they lose that one in new england did feel like they could have actually stolen that one again uh, you have the big games. Tyler Conklin have a pretty good game from Garrett Wilson as well. The upside for them is really more in the future. It's more Garrett, getting Garrett Wilson reps. You have Elijah Moore, young player. You just invested pretty good draft capital in who's a non-factor completely in that game um, to the point where it seemed like they were punishing him, but also I'm sure his effort level isn't the highest. The Jets, to me, again, I don't mean to be mean to both New York teams. I am born and raised in New York, even though I don't root for either of them. But in those spots for both teams, like they both felt like they greatly outperformed their lot in life at the start of the season. And now I think we're going to see them start to come back to earth in the back half of the season. That's just my guess, though. Titans, man. I think they're don't worry, be happy because you still have a healthy Derrick Henry. You still have Malik Willis. You're getting the chance to develop Malik Willis on the field when you thought you're probably going to have him more in meeting rooms. Certainly that doesn't pay off yesterday where he's got, I think, under 60 passing yards is what he finished that game with. But he still wasn't a limitation enough that they had to honor him. They had to honor Malik Willis's ability to get the ball downfield, had to honor Malik Willis's ability to run the ball. So Derrick Henry has one of his best days of the year. That's a really positive thing for Tennessee. So I think they're feeling pretty good right now, but they feel like a team too that again if you tack them downfield and you actually have the ability to do that somebody's going to rip them apart like if they play the dolphins like i don't know if that's on the schedule but that's the kind of game where the dolphins could absolutely destroy this team and put them completely like to thinking they need to rebuild this year instead of thinking they're in a playoff spot right now i think they're feeling pretty good but they just feel like man they should not be on the trajectory they are like they should play malik willis they should play best ball hero hassan haskins and Derrick Henry kind of feels like a guy who should get traded to somebody where he actually could win a Super Bowl, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sure he will be perfectly healthy, perfectly fine the rest of the season. Uh, the Seahawks, hmm. Seahawks have to be chill vibes only. I think that changes when they run into the Niners. I think this de this defense for the Niners, to me, is still the best defense in the league, despite what the Chiefs did against them. And Seattle, I just, every week I watch Seattle games, and like you see a down game for Kenneth Walker, but you see the windows getting tighter and tighter for Geno, and Geno does some great shit. There was one play I was watching yesterday against the Giants where, like, he basically, like, had, like, was sacked in the backfield, avoided the tackle, got the ball downfield, like, ran it a little bit so, like, the, the defense had to honor it and come up to stop him because Geno does run pretty well and does run a decent amount. But then he said, like, he got the ball downfield, made the play. Geno does that, like, five to ten times a game, and it crushes me because, like, Drew Locke, I, I love Drew Locke. I think he fits the platonic ideals of what I look for, a guy who could run and can force the ball downfield. Drew Locke shouldn't be playing like Geno Smith. And it hurts me to say this. Geno Smith is legitimately a very good QB. That said, like if he runs bad on a day, if that pass is a little bit inaccurate, if somebody hits his finger and then he thinks he can make the same throws and he doesn't, he's going to have like a, a decent interception day just because he's getting into these really tight windows that don't feel sustainable for now though. Like they've outperformed everything you get a hope for them. Me, even as somebody that thought the Seahawks had some upside more so with Drew Locke, but overall just conceptually that they could be a team that has that, that classic built 
Simmons Ewing theory, they have done that in tenfold. So like they're in the hunt. They're better than the Rams right now. You can make the case they're better than the Cardinals, I think. Um, well, I guess uh, results-wise, they are better than the Cardinals. Uh, but honestly, like if they can survive the Niners somehow, if they can continue to get lucky, like boy, they are a team that's feeling kind of live in a way that feels a little bit like a team of destiny. Um, and we'll see if that's the case when Drew Locke takes over come week 17. Uh, <laughs> Commanders, man, Commanders playing with house money too. They don't have to play Sam Howell. They don't have to know if he's good or bad yet. Taylor Heineke's keeping him afloat, keeping him in games. Terry McLaurin looks the most rejuvenated he's looked um, since his early rookie campaign, his early start where he looked like a world beater. He kind of came back down to earth last year. This year, certainly with Carson Wentz, has looked less good. But the Commanders, to me, like, I don't know if you guys saw the clip. There was one thing of uh, McLaurin after the game when they won. I saw some people retweeting out there. A guy slapped Nick Prospect and retweeted it like me when I win my bets. And it's McLaurin fired up his shit playing in Indianapolis, I think, for the first time. I mean, in his life, I believe he's an Indianapolis native, uh, but like just him being fired up, your star player being fired up. Taylor Heineke runs for those tough plays time and time again that Carson Wentz like just can't do at this point. Like to me, they're a team that's going to hang in until they run into the Eagles, until they run into maybe a full powered Cowboys team. But it's like a spot with the commanders where they're getting a lot of results from a team that also doesn't have a lot of talent and certainly felt like they should have been going the other way, preparing for the future, giving a guy like Howell a shot. Is Gibson going to take the rollback from Robinson? I don't think he takes the rollback, but I think they clearly like him in the pass game. You know, you saw McKissick getting a little more pass game work too yesterday, but Gibson was the one who I think caught the touchdown pass in that game. So I don't know. Like, I think they're completely different backs. Like Robinson is through the, like that through the tackles runner, but he's also not missing tackles and not doing much to, to justify that role. Whereas Gibson, at least, you know, like, oh, they can hand on the ball or he can get 20 yards downfield and make a sick gate, you know, sick gain in the passing game. Robinson's not ever going to give you that. So I think from that perspective, with how Heineke is playing and how that offense is playing, like you kind of want Heineke to get out in the open and then see if Gibson can find space with the linebackers. And I think that's something that he can do that Robinson is not anywhere close to being able to do. Uh, but Robinson, like as a goal line back, I think you still want to give him those touches if you can. Um, if you're the Jaguars, no, actually, let's, yeah, let's do the Jaguars. If you're the Jaguars, I think you're still feeling pretty good. You got Travis Etienne. He rushes for uh, or has overall like over 150 yards in that game. Looks like a true alpha back. I worry about his build. Like, I worry about the size. Like, I don't think he's a 25, 30 touch per game guy. Um, certainly, we have seen small backs do it. Austin Eckler has continues to do it. Look like the best back in the league for the most part, fantasy wise. But I worry a little bit about the Jaguars. Just like they kind of feel like a team that got crowned a little bit too early this year. Looked good to start the year with Doug Peterson taking over with this offense. But now it's like Christian Kirk is not looking like he's paying off that contract. ATN to me, I just think that there's like some fumble issues there. The size worries me. I think they're a team that things could be worse, but they probably feel good about it. So you could feel good about ATN fantasy-wise. You could feel good even about the chance of Christian Kirk having upside days. And for now, he's in the garage just waiting to bust out by the time you need him the most. But I think for them, like they probably feel pretty good about the fact they've at least found some pieces moving forward and got rid of some guys perhaps that they realized, you know, thought were going to be parts of the future like James Robinson and then Earl LaVisca too. And certainly now they've moved on from him. Steelers, I think... <sighs> I think they hate their defense. Like, that's the thing I think that frustrates them. If you are a Steelers fan, if you're Mike Tomlin, and the defense is not good enough to hang in games against teams with any sort of competency, teams that are dysfunctional like the Bucks, like, yeah, they'll hang around. They'll do enough to not lose the game embarrassingly or to maybe even steal a game here and there. And I think they're happy about having Pickett. Like, Pickett's me looks good enough. Then you see the zero-point games for a guy like Pickens. You see Claypool being involved but not really having the same upside. You see the same thing for Deontay Johnson, same thing for Najee Harris, who just looks like Eddie Lacy out there. Like, I don't want like, – I know I'm not allowed to, like, talk about people's weight anymore in public. as part of my court-ordered uh, <laughs> supervision, my Rihanna situations of the past. 
Uh, but it's been five and a half years, guys. So I'm going to say Najee Harris looks like a fucking fat Eddie Lacy out there. At least how he's moving. He's got like, he moves like Steven Seagal. Like he was trying to put some jukes on in that game yesterday. And it's like, oof, this is just not your game. Najee Harris is like the ultimate right place, right time kind of guy. And it wouldn't shock me if he's out of the league within the next three years, just because like, I don't think he has that juice. The thing keeping him going is that he's got first round draft capital behind him. But like you watch him, you watch Jalen Warren. I think I'd rather give more touches to Jalen Warren personally. So um, you got to feel good about the picket part. Got to feel good about the pickings part. But I think if you're the Steelers, like bad defense, bad running back that you're invested deeply in and you kind of can't run away from right now, I think it's a, a bad situation there for them overall. Chargers feel like I think they can hang in there with Keenan Allen banged up with Mike Williams out for you know maybe a month or so. We'll see how that goes with his ankle issue, uh, issues overall. But like they have DeAndre Carter, they've made him look good. They have you know a, certainly DeAndre Carter. I think being a, a small back, like he's not a guy you want out there playing a bunch of routes, running a bunch of routes, playing a bunch of snaps. But like they have Josh Palmer still. Like there are guys who could be on the scrap heap. They could get the Wolf Fuller. They could get maybe trade for Brandon Cooks here in the next twenty four hours for the trade deadline. I believe is when it ends tomorrow. Um, like they could do some moves here, but I think they might think they have enough juice offensively and still defensively. That defense has been shit, but like it should be better with the talent they have. So I think right now, like they feel like an in-between team for the Chargers where like they're good enough to hang in any game. They probably don't need to make a move, but if the injuries add up, if Mike Williams misses the season instead of a month, like things start to probably look a more closer to panic for them. Justin saying Najee looks like Trent Richardson. That is a pretty good analogy. Like him, Lawrence Maroney, like he looks like just any of these guys who are just like big backs with braids who just like kind of weren't good enough, like not quite Steven Jackson level, but a little bit below that. Um, I, I think Najee Harris, like, uh, who's the guy, the, the DraftKings Millie Maker guy, Felix, who seems like a lovely human being, like one DraftKings last year. When I, we talked about it on Splash Play over the summer. Like, he was like, I'm drafted 65%, Najee Harris, Najee 101, all that. I was like, that seems like a bad move, like just in general, in terms of like roster construction and all of that. But who am I to critique people who win millions of dollars? Like, I, I do it, but like, I shouldn't. Uh, but like, well, you watch Najee week after week, and it's like, holy fuck, man. Like last year, numerically, there was nothing that stood out about him. This year, it's like you watch him, and it's like, I feel pain like watching him. Like, I feel like he feels like a cover band of previous Steelers running backs. So, no Najee for me. Uh, if you're the Patriots, Probably feeling cute this week. Might panic later. Mac Jones picks up a win. It's not an impressive win. They honestly look like the worst team than the Jets overall. You look at the production they had, like who stood out from the New England side, or at least for the Jets, you had Garrett Wilson looking good. You did have Tyler Conklin looking good. You had the running game not being great, but still, we know they're going to have better weeks with Michael Carter, who had a better avoided tackle rate, or I think at least the same avoided tackle rate as Brees Hall. Um, I think better per play, but not better in terms of the yards after contact numbers. It's going to be better for the Jets, whereas like the Patriots, they actually have a QB controversy. Like Bailey Zappi kind of came down to earth. Mac Jones isn't a world beater by any stretch, and I think if they're playing close to the Jets, that's worse for New England than it is for New, uh, for New York by a pretty wide margin. So the Jets, to me, are a team that's going to come down. The Patriots, I'm sure, will languish around mediocrity for the rest of the season. But like, besides Ramondre, like, what do you have out of the season that feels like a positive chip in your favor? And it's not Mac Jones so far because Bailey Zappi looked better. So I don't think that's a good thing for them. Uh, Justin saying Najee has zero vision, makes a lot of moves, but doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Justin is right on the same page as me. Like, you watch Najee and it's just like, He's like juking like somebody my age would be doing in flag football, which is not what you want to see out of your elite early 20s running back. Like, gosh, this just could be the injuries, you know, could be the workload. There's a lot of things here that are not good. 
Uh, Zappi should start simply because his name is cooler. Zappi also just seems to create better plays for the receivers and like Max running more. Like Max not been bad, but it's just like Zappi. Some guys just have that juice. Some guys have that ability to force a team to will a team to victory. And I just haven't seen that out of Mac Jones yet. But Zappi, we actually saw it overall. Uh, would you trade or hold Stevenson in half PPR league? His value will probably never get higher. So that's a tough one. Um, man. I would probably hold on to him because I think he's an elite running back and you probably got him in non-elite running back territory. But if you could trade him for like an AJ Brown tier or like a T Higgins who is probably going to blow up over the next few weeks, um, you could trade him for like an alpha number two, like on a high powered offense. Like if you trade him for Jalen Waddle, I think I would trade Stevenson. Besides that, anybody below like a Waddle tier, I probably wouldn't trade him because I think he's worth it. Uh, the Saints... I think the Saints are feeling cute. Might panic later. They're winning. Not a big Olave game for them. They still pull out that one, decimate the Raiders defense, looking back to life a little bit in that game as well with holding them to zero, but also just not letting Josh Jacobs get off, not letting, um, not letting Devontae Adams get off at all. I think Devontae Adams finished with negative points. Saints overall to me, I think are a felt cute might panic later. All it takes really is Jameis being back out there doing Jameis things poorly, but if it keeps running well for them, if they keep getting the touchdowns from Kamara, they keep getting the luck box games from Taysom Hill. They keep having that upside. I think it's going to be a pretty nice spot for them despite the fact that honestly they have not been that oppressive overall Sal's comments about Mike White were interesting almost seems like they're going to give him a shot at some point they did move into the active roster and did make Joe Flacco inactive so I you know it's tough again to pull the plug on the Zach Wilson experience but you could kind of make the case that he's been the worst quarterback that they've played in the last two years with Mike White having at least shown 400 passing yard upside Flacco they were letting drop back and pass 50 times a game so I don't know. Either way, guys, here's your panic rankings for week nine. Soak them in, screenshot them, text them to your pals, go beep boop. Hey, look at these panic rankings <laughs> and all that fun shit. But guys, make sure you are subscribed. Of course, I, I can't do this without the flashing gift. Please subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button, comment down below. I'm doing streams Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 10 a.m. is when Pete hits the channel as well. So we get that much needed star power. But I think we're having some good gains here. And that's going to continue tonight with the showdown slate because woo showdown had a nice showdown night yesterday didn't play the winning lineup but finished top 50 in the one dollar which means fucking nothing uh <laughs> but still means that we're doing something right here i will pull up the full chrome tab as usual so we're back to tier maker here's the stochastic projections of course which i use for myself on all these streams and for when playing uh, money and i would certainly advocate the same for you honestly at the end of the day median projections are the, the most important thing you can do but simultaneously like you just want ones you can rely on that is something for sure with uh stochastic that i i can bank as everything i have on them and people who are making a lot more money we're spending a lot more money than me and you also bank on them on the regular so keep that in mind as well but let's see what their numbers have here haven't been updated in six hours so as always pay attention to the inactives before the game and the most important thing you do for showdown is knowing that some guy down here who's not currently projected to play is active because that guy will not be owned like a stanley morgan i don't know what his ir status is but if he's playing he's actually probably worth some shares uh but that's the kind of situation that you have to monitor closer to lock for uh that i can't help you out with right now all right, let's pull up. Let me refresh this. Shout out to the chat as well. There we go. Launchables connoisseurs. I see wash hands, wash hands. I presume it's actually an emoji, but StreamYard only shows me the text. Uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll assume it's clap, 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 clap. But shout out to the chat as well. Shout out to all you guys who are hanging out with me. And again, subscribe here. We're so close to 1,300 subs. And I just want to keep it moving in the right direction because that's all I care about. Linear progress bit by bit. All right. Uh, let's upload the data here. I think it's already in the system from me doing it on Chrome briefly. Did set up my groups as well, so we won't have to painstakingly watch that. One adjustment I am making, by the way, um, which I made for the main slate as well, 
but also I am making for showdown. So for my groups, I've talked about in the past, like I don't adjust the projection uh, for the individual players. I am doing that now for the wide receivers. Uh, so when I, you won't see it here. When I'm playing a QB, I do give each pass catcher a 10% boost. Um, in the main slate yesterday, I gave each running back a 5% boost and then gave the bring backs a 5% boost, but it's something that I wanted to create stricter correlations for myself so I can get more of those onslaught kind of approaches. Um, so that's going to you know, be something I just wanted to point out here on the back end. Same rules. I always do here. Max one defense, max one kicker. Um, I'm only allowed two pass catchers overall. I'm actually getting rid of the only one pass catcher if the QB is not included because that was one thing that kept me from getting to the winning lineup yesterday. Um, I did play Aaron Rodgers over uh, over Josh Allen in one lineup, which is fine because it cuts the ownership product down. But like logically, I shouldn't have forced in Aaron Rodgers over Josh Allen when I had uh, just because I had Ture and Romeo Dobbs in a lineup. So that's the kind of thing I'm trying to avoid moving forward. But um, yeah, that's sort of my that's my process. And Nate, yeah, Nate finds it interesting. So if Nate finds it interesting, you should too. That's what I would say. Uh, but anyway, these are the little changes I'm making as I go, just so you guys are aware. One thing I'm also going to point out too, I'm not limiting salary anymore because I think the most important part is finding the unifying parts of what the field's going to be playing. So if like the field's playing five ones, I can play a one five, like, you know, Browns with five players, uh, Bengals with one lineup, and it won't matter what the salary is because like nobody's playing that lineup. So that's the kind of thought I'm trying to impart to myself now. Um, and it also makes it so like I can play Dolphins chalk, but I can find ways to get different with that Dolphins chalk. Um, that's sort of the goal of what I try to do. And let's see what the optimal lineups are. This first one, of course, is going to be the one you can play for cash. So knock yourself out if you want to do that. The rest, but honestly, don't play it in a big field tournament because this lineup will be heavily duped. Uh, T. Higgins at captain. Mike Thomas, who should be playing a little bit more outside um, this week with no Jamar Chase. Tyler Boyd in the lineup. We got Joe Mixon. Oh, Joe Mixon. I, I worry about Joe Mixon because I think he's the best play on the board tonight uh, with going against Cleveland. Cleveland giving up a big production to running backs overall. The, actually, the highest EPA mark in the league. They're giving up .124 on running plays. So Joe Mixon, to me, is the play that if he's in every lineup, it makes it tougher, but I don't think you want to fade Joe Mixon. If you do fade Joe Mixon, maybe go to Samaj P. Ryan, but I think Mixon to me, um, 64%. Joe Mixon at captain not coming up at all. That's pretty exciting. I think Joe Mixon at captain is the play that wins tonight, personally, um, but obviously, you know, we're going to get different builds. We're going to do all that stuff. Unifying themes here that we can find, which again, this is what I look at here. Look at the team stacks, look at the combos. When you find the percentage of the combos and all of that, you can start to determine what the field's going to be doing. Relative stochastics projections, and you can do the same exercise. You can upload ETRs, you can upload roto grinders if you really want to see what everybody in the industry is doing. Um, but for the most part here, again, a lot of five-man stacks of the Bengals, a lot of four-man stacks of the Bengals. If you look at it overall, 25 out of 25 lineups have at least a four-man stack of the Bengals. So you're going to be with a portion of the field. If you play a five-man Bengal stack, if you play a four-man Bengal stack, you have to just get one part in there that's going to be low-owned. So that could mean um, you play a guy who's 200 bucks, you, you leave salary on the table. But if you're going to play the five-man or four-man groupings, you have to do something different. And that's the main thing that I, I like, has, again, been a crystallizing moment for me that's been really, like, I'm running hot right now, guys. Like, it might not seem when I'm rambling on a stream for an hour straight. But, like, this is one of the, and I've won, you know, again, had that run in NBA where I won 100 grand over the course of a month. Like, this is the best run of pure DFS play I've had in my entire career right now. It's because of this process I'm talking to you guys right now, where it's like, it's just identifying what everybody else is going to do. So then you know how you can still play chalk, how you can still play the plays you want to play, but you can play them in different formats and different configurations. So um, to me, going to a three, three player stack, like you could still get Higgins. You could still get Burrow. You could still get Mixon. You could still do it that way. And then you can add in three rounds or whatever. You know, I think that's sort of the way to approach it. 
players who don't come up at all. So again, at captain to me, not seeing any Joe Mixon at captain is pretty exciting here. Cause I think he's a really strong play. No Hayden Hurst to captain. We've seen him win at captain within the last few weeks. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, also let's see. Um, yeah, Boyd coming up a little bit. So Boyd's like a lower own, still very good, still well-projected play. So he's certainly a logical captain option. This is too much T. Higgins at captain. I love T. Higgins at captain, but you got to really find those low salary or, you know, sub 10% own guy in a lineup with Higgins to justify it. Dustin saying mix it at captain is to play. It feels like even if it's slightly higher owned. Yeah, I don't, let me look at the stochastic ownership real fast so we can just see where they're marking this one. So they have mixing at 13%. It does if it doesn't come up here. Let's see what the fantasy cruncher run is. If Mixon comes up more here. Because I'm honestly surprised that Mixon a captain didn't come up from the stochastic projections at all. Mixon a captain comes up more with fantasy cruncher. Okay. So you still probably want to have a lower salary lineup with Mixon, or you want to get in. And that's the two things I would say. Like you could play the five-one build, you could play the four-two build, you could play a chalk captain, but you have to do at least dropping the salary down or playing a guy who's like 200 bucks, who's like a 10% owned guy, or anybody who's like under 10%. But just find one thing to make it different. Cause if you play any of these like core bangles, it seems you're gonna be running into some chalk. Um, anyway, let's go back to the stochastic ones. Defenses. Not coming up at all, playing a defense. Playing the Bengals defense has some logic as well. They don't come up at all. Uh, kicker, it seems like Cade York doesn't come up at all. Evan McPherson comes up very little. So that's another spot you could put in a kicker or a defense, and that'll probably make you a little bit different. Um, I am surprised that there are no shares of Harrison Bryant coming up. I'm sure it'll come with the randomness, but Harrison Bryant, like, and I, we talked about it on Friday's show with Pete, like the ETR guys, like Silva and Levitan were very big on Harrison Bryant and Silva in particular, who like follows college football very closely and cares about these guys and what they do there. Like Harrison Bryant was a Mackey award winner. He's also on a per target basis, been mostly as effective as David and Joku, like certainly not the freak athlete, but a guy who gets pretty good production. Um, looks like Harrison Bryant targeted 8.4% of the time when he's playing a snap compared to 10.1% for Njoku. So it's not a huge difference. Uh, per catch numbers, certainly less yards after the catch looks like for Bryant, but like whatever, like that's honestly doesn't matter because you just want the PPR points. I think Harrison Bryant not coming up is pretty, pretty interesting here. Um, it looks like Joe Burrow, by the way, going to be in every single lineup. So if you don't play Joe Burrow, um, that's kind of a double pronged thing where you could play T Higgins chalk, but then if you don't play Burrow, you're probably getting different from the field. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Like if you play Higgins, maybe consider not playing Burrow if you're hand building, um, but let's up the randomness, put my groups in and let's see, let's see what comes up. And I will take some questions. See if you guys want to drop them in chat. Of course, I'm going to talk about my process here. Like, you know, there's a lot of sharp people out there. Like I will tell you guys before I watch, before I do this show now, every time I watch the ETR showdown show, I think they do a great job. Stochastic. I, I vouch for enough. Less, I think, about the game theory there and more about like the core good plays for their streams, but certainly another one worth checking out as well. Um, but watch some other showdown content too, because I think that's a very important thing to do for yourself. Even if I wish you would just spend all your time with me. We're going to lower the projection here. As you can see, five players against the defense for a showdown, completely fine. And let's crunch 500 and see what we get with 33% randomness. Actually, let me also lower the captain ownership too, or exposure. Um, so we could see different looks with different captains as well. I do drop the... Uh, Exposure numbers are capped into 20% or 25%. Uh, let's do 20 today. Why not? Let's get crazy and do 20%. All right. Crunch it out. Mike Thomas, a captain coming up at all, did not come up in the optimal. Um, let's see. Did it come up as a regular play? Mike Thomas coming up a lot in utility. So he's going to be 
the value dart throw, it looks like, du jour at 1,200. So he's likely the guy you go away from. I think to me, like to me, you play Mike Thomas at captain, I think more so because Mike Thomas is a big play guy. The guy you play at utility over Mike Thomas, I think would be Trent Taylor because he's kind of like more of a goal line target guy. Like he's more of a Hunter Renfro style of player. Not to compare them because they're diminutive white guys who play out of the slot, but like he is kind of a short low a dot guy. Mike Thomas is like, if he's hitting, he's probably hitting on a long touchdown play. Um, so something to keep in mind there. But I think just seeing a lot of Mike Thomas ownership in the optimal at flex and not seeing a lot for uh, Trent Taylor would make me think that Trent Taylor is a better play relative to ownership because like in terms of roles, like you don't need to have Mike Thomas out there to stretch the field. T. Higgins can do that. Um, and Tyler Boyd can do that. So like you kind of want an underneath guy more. And I think that's where Trent Taylor could be the part that flips here with a lot of people playing Mike Thomas instead. Um, and it's worth pointing out too. So T. Higgins in every lineup, Joe Burrow in every lineup. Mixon only in two-thirds of optimal lineups. And then Tyler Boyd in... Tyler Boyd in about 84% of lineups overall. Anybody else a receiver that plays snaps for Cleveland meaningfully? I don't think so. Farrell Brown is more of a tight end. Farrell Brown, I guess, would be the Harrison Bryant pivot. But if Harrison Bryant's not coming up at all, then just play Harrison Bryant, I think. Like, I think Harrison Bryant is objectively a good play, but if he's not going to be that owned, um, yeah, they have him at under 20% ownership and 2% at captain. I think Harrison Bryant is alive in every spot. I'm, I, I'm surprised to not see him come up at all in the optimal. Just based on his, like, per snap numbers and Njoku vacating a lot of production. Like, Njoku has on the year... 16% of the team's receiving yard or total yards actually. And 28% of the team's receiving yards. So that's like a pretty big gap being left behind a tight end. Um, that I think is not accounted for with the Harrison Bryant projection. Uh, maybe that is Mari Cooper coming up and everything. Cause that would explain it more. If like stochastic said, Oh, Amari Cooper gets more of the production. People will think it's Harrison Bryant, but no, he's only coming up 24% there and doesn't come up at all. Captain. I think you got to play the, the, the Cleveland pass game because they're just not coming up very much. And like, I get they're not the most appealing, but there's a lot of game scripts where they're going to be coming back from it. Do saying that our, my old pal Emac running for president, go vote for him pointing out that the Ernest Johnson is interesting as the, as this may keep the hunt in bubble wrap tonight for the deadline. Um, that's one where I think the inactives is going to be very important. If obviously if hunts inactive, that means we're not going to touch him, but I don't think you would have hunt active and then not playing very much. Like I think if he's active, he's going to get a workload designed to sell him before the deadline. And if he's inactive, that means like, Oh yeah, you know, he's not going to be going obviously because we're going to trade him within the next 24 hours. But I, I heard that take too. I think ETR had a similar take. My thought is like, if he's active, you treat him like he's a full go and hope he's a chub pivot point. Personally, I think that's the way you would play it. But I think there's validity to both takes here. Um, and Hunt's only coming up 19% in this randomness up crunch. I don't think he came up at all in the optimal. Let's see. Yeah, Hunt comes up 16% in the optimal crunch. It's a key decision point. And Dearness Johnson might be worth the flyer either way. Just, uh, you know, like I think at his price point, I think he's 200 bucks on the slate. So, like, you can play Dearness Johnson. It's just... I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat that for sure. Cause I think a lot of people will be like, Oh, I saw the trade request for Kareem hunt. Oh, the trade deadline's tomorrow. He might not play. If that means you get 10% on Kareem hunt when he is the pass game back in a script where they should be behind. Like, I think that could be, that could be a mistake. So I think I would just play it more. If he's active, play him. If he's inactive, don't play him. Obviously. 
Um, crunch goes a little bit slower, by the way, because of the uh, the projection boost. So keep that in mind too. Like afford yourself a little more time if you're going to try to crunch the way that I do on these streams. Um, where you, if you up the 10% numbers for every receiver, it just makes every calculation a little bit longer. All right, let's see what else we're getting at captain in this one while it finishes up. It's so obviously more even spread of the captains here because I did put that ownership cap on. Um, yeah, Mixon, like Mixon to me is a, just play Mixon at captain. Play him at captain, ideally in a 3-3 build. If you really want to get away from a large pack of people. Because if you play him in a, a captain in a 3-3 build, that means that you're getting away from everybody who's doing 5-1s, everybody who's doing 4-2s, and then also you're getting away from all the Higgins captain ownership. Like, if you don't play Higgins at all and you play Mixon in a 3-3 build, you are away from the entire field, basically. So that's one thing to keep in mind here. And something I would advocate for, like for the big field tournaments, where if you're not throwing in 150, like in a 20 max, play one or two of those lineups. But if you're just putting like five lineups into the big tournament tonight, trying to win 500K up top, just do the thing that the entire field's not doing and hope you're right. And then play the high, you know, the five highest projected lineups with that sort of build. So, like to me, play a 3 3 with Mixon at captain um, and play that for five lineups, and you'll just be away from enough of the field there. Like, don't play Higgins too. Um, that's not the way you should play, though, if you're playing, like, you know, 60 entries, 150 entries. But the goal, if you are playing less lineups, is to give those bullets as much of a power as possible. So that's the, the main thing to keep in mind here. Um, and I will say for that kind of build, let me just pull one up just so we can see what it would look like. Okay, Mixon, Captain. So we're all 5-1s and 4-2s. I'm sure we'll get to a 3-3 at some point. Here we go. So you'd play the Browns defense, mixing it captain, Browns defense, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Amari Cooper, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow. You got the best parts of all the stuff that people are putting together and building around, but you got completely different because nobody's playing 3-3 builds. So that's the kind of way that like, this lineup is not the best one, but it's highly projected. And also you're getting it to a 3-3 build and mixing it captain. So you've made two decision points that are completely different from everybody. Uh, Miller Forrestal, an interesting $200 guy, by the way, as the... The cheapest, actually, no, Farrell Brown, too. So, like, honestly, Farrell Brown, Miller, Forenstall, these guys are probably the ones who are taking away the Harrison Bryant potential ownership, too. What I would do, actually, let's see if this will, okay. This is what I would do. Oh, wait, I, now I made the whole screen. No, the whole screen is all stupid now. <laughs> Hold on. I'm trying to, when you select like different lineup filters for fantasy cruncher, it makes it sometimes a little bit difficult. And, uh, we are experiencing that right now. Okay. Now we're too big. <laughs> this porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. I just read that the Browns are willing to trade hunt. That shouldn't impact. That was what they said over the weekend. So that's nothing new there. Uh, if you play the uh, if you play the Browns receiving group, would you play Jacoby as well? It just depends on the build. Um, I think that does lend itself well to a, a three man Brown stack where you play Chubb, Brissett, Amari as a group, like you know, or you know, Chubb, Brissett, Bryant, or Brissett, Bryant, Cooper, whatever configuration of like three relevant Browns. But I think taking Jacoby with them is fine. That said, like I wouldn't be opposed to playing Chubb, Bryant, Cooper just because like. They can get there, and it's easy for pass catchers to pass a receive uh, to pass a QB, um, especially not a good QB, uh, which we know Jacoby Reset for the most part is. Um, yeah, so I think this one is what I would try to play. Mixon with Bryant, Peoples Jones. So we're getting away from Cooper. Still get our, our Burrow double stack here. 
Brian and Kareem Hunt, those are two Browns. People are not going to be playing very much, both under 10% or both under a 10 projection, rather. Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, any of these Bryant lineups. There we go. Mix in with Bryant, Boyd, Cooper, Higgins, Brissett. So you're getting away from that 100% exposure to Joe Burrow the field's going to have. This, this is actually a lineup I would actively play tonight because you're getting a lot of salary out of the way, but you can have this high salary because you've made these decision points that are completely different. That includes playing a 3-3, that includes playing mix and a captain, and that, complete, you know, that includes playing uh, no Joe Burrow. So that's interesting. Let's up the randomness and do one more crunch and see what that looks like and group them together, do all that shit. And honestly, part of me too, like if you are a best ball bro has been hanging out with us all summer long and might've drafted in some points similar to me and Pete, we both love T Higgins in best ball. If you have enough Higgins in best ball, like you can make the case, don't play him tonight. Just see how you do. Because like, to me, you know, that's the kind of thing where you think about your overall spend. You think about what expected value is for you. For me, I'm going to get good value out of Higgins if he goes off tonight in best ball because he's going to be a play that then pops up on a lot of lineups that I have in 25% of the field, I think, on underdog and DraftKings each. So, like, I could make my money off of Higgins being good tonight no matter what happens. And I think that's something that I've toyed with conceptually. I still will play Higgins tonight, and I'll probably just play him in lower on builds. But if you really want to be a hero, if you want to play hero ball and, and try to, again, maximize the potency of every lineup you put out there just going like fuck it i'm gonna make my higgins money on prop market uh, prop market or i'm gonna make my higgins money in best ball and just not play him tonight then you're away from a lot of the field got a lot of david bell in best ball so that's the difference though is that like you get david bell in best ball he's still a good play tonight because nobody's playing him so like um i think david bell is actually a pretty interesting play tonight because he's not gonna be very highly owned i think stochastic has him under 10 yeah, under 10 percent owned overall uh, under 1% in captain, probably not a captain play, but like, he's definitely a good play tonight just because of the fact that like nobody's playing him. But if you have him in best ball, like great. I think if the Browns start tanking, which in my, in my opinion, they should start to tank. Cause like, what are they going to do this year? Um, like David Bell is going to probably play a lot. It's cause you got to see what you have in him. The underdog guys too also talk a lot about like the post buy rookie bump. And I feel like David Bell after a buy would maybe be a play. I don't think Cleveland's had their buy yet. So he'd be a guy that probably just gets more rap, more reps just from, you know, getting in that practice time after the buy, they decide like, Oh, here, we're going to dedicate this. We'll get this package for David Bell. Let's get him out there more. And that's kind of thing that happened a lot. And I think there actually is some data that uh, Hayden and Josh have talked a lot about on the underdog shows about um, just, you know, like how, how much those rookies do tend to see a bump right after the buy. So David Bell to me is definitely one of those guys. Man, it's just Burrow in every lineup. You just don't play Burrow, and you're going to be different from the field. Like, honestly, if you really, again, if you want to play hero ball, and I'll keep saying these things, like, I don't think they're necessarily the best play, but I think in terms of just getting away from the field, if you did max one of Higgins and Burrow, like, at captain and utility, you are different from the field, and you could just play the best projected lineups across the board. Because they're both coming up in everything. Like you can see, they're both hitting the captain max here. They're both hitting the utility max. If you play Burrow with Higgins, like I don't, it's obviously not a bad play. They're correlated. If you play Burrow with Higgins, like you're playing with the field. It actually might, man. It just comes down to like what your appetite for risk is. Cause like on paper, obviously Burrow and Higgins is the best play on the board. Um, but if you only play one of them, you only play Higgins, I think, and you play. Uh, Mixon, or you play Burrow with Boyd and you play Mixon. Like, that feels pretty good to me. Anyway, 
Um, let's just combine these two together and let's pick our best lineups here. I'm going to copy. Well, create an empty crunch. Why not? Why not create an empty crunch? We got all this space here. And then we'll be done, guys. So come back again on Wednesday so you can see me do some NBA stuff. Similar process for that one as well. And of course, on Thursday, I'll do a dig through my Excel spreadsheet, all the fancy stats I use from PFF, from Football Outsiders, from Sports Info Solutions, from Stochastic, from Pro Football Reference. We'll go through all that and then build some Thursday night football lineups on Thursday at 2 p.m. as well. Getting into a rhythm here. This is my getting into a rhythm gesture, which isn't creepy at all. Let's just have Mixon score two CDs and Boyd score one and Burrow run one in. That is absolutely a way that Higgins doesn't make the winning lineup. So, yeah, I would support that, I think. If you're not playing Higgins, fuck, man. I don't know that I have the balls to do, like, max one of Burrow and Higgins because you could still play Burrow and Higgins lineups. You just have to go down in salary or, like, find something else that makes them different, play the 3-3 build with Burrow and Higgins. But, man, if you just want to play the fucking best projected lineups, just don't play Burrow and Higgins together, and that's it, and you're done. And it's like, and it's much simpler than what we're doing here of like pouring through everything and trying to trying to mine for gold. Um, any interesting captain builds? Mike Thomas at captain. What does that get you? Mike Thomas, Amari Cooper, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow. This is a way to get different. You play Mike Thomas at captain. You play Higgins, assume you get some production. You assume Mixon's going to be good. You're getting the two best Browns. Like you, maybe this one is perhaps too obvious because it is like going to be the best Mike Thomas lineup you could possibly build. But honestly, it's at 48, six salary. So maybe not. This is like, this is a really good lineup. If you believe Mike Thomas can break the slate, like this is a really good lineup. Let's see. Do we get like any Trent Taylor captain? I don't think that's the move. I think Mike Thomas again is more of the captain play. Trent Taylor captain doesn't come up at all. It looks like Harrison Bryant captain. I would play this. I, would, I, I don't even know what it's going to be, and I would play it. Harrison Bryant with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow. So again, you're getting that Burrow-Higgins chalk that's in every lineup, but you're doing it with Harrison Bryant at captain. That's the way you get different. That's the point here. Um, the salary, though, is going to be the same. So like something to keep in mind. Like Just look for the checkpoints here. So what's the same as everybody else? You have a high salary. You have Burrow and Higgins. But you have Harrison Bryant at captain. That's your one difference point. You could maybe add in another difference point if you really want to not chop. But I think this is different enough that you can play, and you'll probably chop with like three or four people if it won. Um, yeah, these are all great. This is kind of build too. Like, yeah, okay, we got Brissett here. Three three build. This is inherently unique, and it's better correlated. And you're fading Chubb. But just keep in mind, you in every lineup here, you are seeing Higgins and Burrow. So that is the, the main thing I would say that I'm observing here. So if I were to give you guys three takeaways, as I always try to do on these showdown things, and honestly, I think we've been pretty good with them so far. Um, actually, you know, for that other guy, here's a David Bell captain. Why not? I don't think you need to play David Bell at captain. I think you can get away with playing like Amari Cooper at captain, and you're, and you're probably different enough. Boy, with David Bell at captain, you get fucking everything. <laughs> you, get, you get whatever you want. It's a fire sale for... <laughs> for everything in this lineup here. What about Cooper or captain? That's more interesting. I think how is uh, Cincinnati 6% decrease in production of wide receiver ones, according to football outsiders, DVOA metrics, mm, boy, a really low success rate for the Cincinnati defense going against the pass game. I don't know that I love the Browns pass game and like going heavy on it. I think I would take three Browns pieces, but I don't know that I would load up on the pass game necessarily. Not that I'm looking at it more. 
Um, Cooper, Bell, Chubb, Boyd, Higginsborough. This is pretty good. This is pretty good. How about just Cooper and Chubb? Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Cooper, Farrell, Brown, Chubb with Boyd, Higgins, Burrow. We like Mixon enough that this isn't a great lineup. Let me see a Mixon one. Mm -mm -mm. Okay, Cooper, Bell with Mixon. Meh, meh. I'm going to find one really good lineup that I could tell you guys I would play. So you can, you can chase it if you want. I don't know if it'll end up in my final pool or not. Okay, this one's interesting. This one's interesting, actually. You're using a lot of salary. It's a good projection, 92.9. You have Cooper at captain, Harrison Bryant, who we like, Hayden Hurst, Higgins, Mixon, Burrow. It's a 4-2 build. I would like a swap to Chubb for one of these guys. Maybe instead, you, know, you can't get to Chubb there. Fuck. Let's find a Chubb. Yeah, I could just select this on Fantasy Cruncher, but I'm not doing it that way. Uh, this one, here we go. Amari Cooper, Mike Thomas, T. Higgins, Jacoby Brissett, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb. This is one that, again, uses a lot of salary, but because we're not playing Burrow with Higgins, we're fine. And because we're also in a 3-3 build, we're doubly fine. You can play this lineup tonight, and I think it would be a pretty good lineup to play. Because you're saying that Joe Burrow doesn't get there. He gets oppressed enough by the Browns' defense. Higgins beats him out. Thomas is cheap enough that he can get there. Mixon takes a lot of the rushing touchdown production or just you know, goal line touchdown production. This is a really good lineup, I think. What's nice about Showdown is I can make my lineups now and don't really have to worry about it. It's like we locked into the shit show NBA post slash before lock. That is true, though. Again, the inactives is very important. Like you got to make sure when you run your crunch to have the latest inactives in because all it takes is one of these guys here. Like that's a zero right now coming up to point three and that could be the guy that scores a touchdown so that's something to keep in mind here like chris evans is a shitty play in main slate dfs during johnson even with the kareem hunt stuff is like a shitty play on paper but these guys have a projection which means they're going to see the field and like samari Ture last night i think had like a 2.5 projection um i think he was actually not in projections until later in the day because they knew then he was going to be active so that's the kind of thing to keep in mind here like we can talk about it theoretically now but just like do the same process i did now with when you know the inactives and inactives and i think you'll be good to go and higher single entry Burrow will probably be 80-85%. I think that's conservative, honestly. Um, but I think in general, I think in general, Burrow is going to be 75 to 80. I think in high dollar, he'll be 85 to like 95. Would be my thought. But yeah, that's the move. Try Nick mixing a captain, fade Burrow in single entry. It's an interesting slate tonight, guys. So either way, uh, I appreciate all of you guys hanging out here. Of course, as always, if you are watching after the fact, feel free to leave a comment if you want to get a reply from me, but also just hit the like button. It means a lot to me here. Trying really hard to get to 1,300 subs ASAP. So please subscribe down below as well. I think 50% of the people that watch the videos, even if they're watching like 15 minutes worth, aren't subscribed to the channel. So just subscribe. Help us out here. It helps us beat the algorithm. Helps me get seen by more people here. Helps me fight the tide of not having that glorious Pete in my face every show to, to make me feel less talented <laughs> honestly though i miss pete pete of course if you miss pete here he'll be back on friday at 10 a.m i'll be back on wednesday doing nba back on thursday doing nfl again both shows i think are gonna be worth your time shout out brandon shout out all the regulars as well shout out to all of you guys who are hanging out here today because it's been a lot of fun talking through this stuff and i hope i'm giving you guys good information because it's legitimately what i'm using for myself and hopefully having a good run but i appreciate all you watching i'm chris bags follow me at chris bags follow at splash play pod and of course hit subscribe and like before you go I'll see you guys on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. It's up to you guys. Choose your own adventure. But good luck tonight. Bye.